So Easter, I wonder how many eggs you got? Lots of chocolate bunnies? Well, I have a confession to make that I'm not a chocoholic and I get Easter eggs and sometimes I have to throw them away <laughs> because they don't get eaten. <laughs> I did have one once that got eaten by a mouse and uh, so the mouse enjoyed my Easter egg, but there we go. So Easter two weeks ago, and here we are two weeks later. And I wonder what difference Easter has made to our hearts and our lives. Not just this Easter, this particular time. But we've celebrated the truth of Jesus Christ risen. That's what we've just been singing, that death could not hold him. And every Easter I ask myself, How do I live out the truth of the risen Christ? How do I live this out in a way that makes a difference? In a way that people see something of what I believe, what I'm passionate about? This this journey that you've been going through of whole life discipleship is about allowing the risen Christ to transform us, to empower us, to inspire us, to make us live differently. And so this passage that we've had this morning is all about how we live differently in the world today. How we proclaim something of God's love in the situations in our lives, in the reality of conflict, of insults, of persecution, of pain, of injustice. And as Dave's already mentioned, this passage is primarily about the individual, the personal responsibility we have as we respond to these things. When I was given this topic, I was told it was about, my title was Managing Revenge. I thought, oh my goodness me. (laughs) I did try to get out of it. (laughs) How do we manage revenge? And the more I prayed and the more I pondered, I came to the conclusion that I could preach this sentence in one minute. We manage revenge by discovering God's love, by discovering the truth of who God is, by discovering the truth of Jesus Christ who died and rose again to new life. That's where revenge gets put in its proper place. That's when revenge is conquered because God's love becomes the foundation of who we are and how we live. And that, I believe, is how we live out the truth of Easter. We live out the truth of God who is alive, of God who has brought Christ back from the dead, of God who has broken the power of sin and who offers us a new way of living. So the challenges before us today are huge, are big. Jesus is speaking here about how he's come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so this passage is at the end of a whole section of of Jesus talking about the law and how he has radically transformed what these things mean. First of all, for a bit of context, Jesus starts off by saying, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. 
Now, this is actually a law that goes back even beyond the Old Testament. It was a, a law that was, was a foundational, pivotal law in the, in the Middle East at that time. And then in the Old Testament, it's actually mentioned three times. And we might think of it as a bloodthirsty call for revenge, but actually, it's seeking to limit revenge. It's seeking to contain it so that you only offer injury to the person who harmed you. So that you can only do the same amount of injury that they've done to you. And so even in this Old Testament law, there's a sense of the, the love of God wanting to contain the revenge so it doesn't become a bloodbath, so it doesn't escalate into massive violence. And my goodness, what does that say to us today with the, with the news that we hear around? What does that say for us? And yet Jesus takes this law and transforms it. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Two radical examples of what it means to live out the truth of the risen Christ. First of all, the challenge that we have to move from retaliation to forgiveness. From retaliation to forgiveness. If you're standing in front of somebody, and most of us are right-handed, and you want to hit somebody on the right cheek, if you do that, it's the left cheek. And so what Jesus is talking about here is a specific action of doing that with the back of your hand, slapping them on the right cheek. And in, in the context of the time, that was, that was an insult. That was the biggest insult that you could give somebody. It was showing contempt. It was showing that you didn't value them, that you thought they were nothing. And the temptation, of course, would be to do the same back. You could have a sort of slapping fest. But actually, Jesus says no. Don't retaliate. Offer your cheek. Offer forgiveness. Forgiveness of the insult. Forgiveness of the contempt. Forgiveness of somebody trying to put you in your place and put you down. Now, I don't know about you, I know that sometimes when I feel insulted, actually, maybe it wasn't intended. We can take insults so quickly. And part of that can be because of past hurts, because of things that are still there in our life that actually was a different situation or a different person. If, like me, you're someone that struggles with reject, you know, the moment that you feel insulted, all that rejection comes back. And the temptation is to let this mount up. And this can become a bitterness. This can become a huge part of our being. So that every insult, every small insult, every small act which we take as contempt becomes overwhelming. And if you like, it becomes a bit of a cycle as our past hurts and our past injuries keep catching us out. And the only way to break this cycle is to discover forgiveness, to discover the power of letting God break in, to discover what it means 
to allow God's love to transform us as we've been singing, as we've been saying. God's love is not a remote idea. It can be quite easy for us to believe, particularly if you've been in church most of your life, to believe that God loves us in our heads. We can know that. But what is it like for that love to transform down into our very being, to become our identity? We've sung about being children of God. That is what we are. Children that are loved and precious and special. I was looking after, I was babysitting one time for some children and I was loading the dishwasher with this, with this little lad. I think he was about four at the time. And I'll never forget, he was loading the dishwasher, I was handing him the dirty plates. And he suddenly stopped and looked up at me. And with a big beaming smile, he said, my daddy loves me to the stars and back. <laughs> it was a magic moment. I will never forget that moment. I thought, how fantastic that he knows that. But it struck me so deep down as well that that is true for each one of us, that God loves us to the stars and back. That's what Jesus Christ reveals, the love of God, our identity as children. And Jesus hanging on the cross brings us forgiveness to a depth that we can never understand. And as we encounter that forgiveness, we can offer it to others. We can set them free by doing that. They might not realize it, but we're breaking that cycle. But more than that, forgiveness can set us free. It can set us free from holding on to the bitterness, from hanging on to the, the hurts, from hanging on to past stuff, which I'm sure you long to let go of. And God offers us this forgiveness in Jesus Christ. So we move from retaliation to, to forgiveness. Jesus also calls us to move from hanging on to letting go. From hanging on to letting go. You may have heard of a lady called Corrie ten Boom. She was a Dutch lady who ended up in one of the concentration camps. And she has a horrific, horrific time there. And if you've read some of her autobiographies, very, very powerful. And then after the war, she was incredibly profound in the way she traveled around Europe. And she spoke about forgiveness was one of her themes. She has a lovely image about ringing a bell. But actually, forgiveness is choosing not to keep ringing that bell. That we can choose to hang on to the past stuff. We can choose to hang on to our rights and our status. If we look at the next example in this passage, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. We can choose to hang on to our shirt, thank you very much, and you're certainly not having my coat. In this culture, the coat particularly was very significant. It was your outer garment, but it was also, quite often for poor people, your blanket at night. If you like, it was literally your security, your security blanket. And so handing that over 
would be a big thing. It would be a statement of letting go. It would be a statement of letting go of your security. What do we hang on to that actually God is calling us to let go? What is our security in? If our security is in my rights and my status and how I look good, that's not what God is calling us to do. Our security needs to be in letting go of some of these things. In bowing before the Lord God who created us, who knows us, who loves us, and saying, it's all yours. It's all for you. And if I look ridiculous kneeling here, that's fine. If we're insulted and persecuted, put down maybe for our faith, that's okay. Because we don't hang on to that. We allow God to become our security, allow our identity to be in, in him, and be transformed as we seek to let go of the things that we cling so tightly to, almost like letting go of our cloaks, being revealed as weak, vulnerable, poor, maybe even naked, because if you lost your tunic and your cloak, in that context, you would have been naked. I love the sense that Christianity completely reverses what we think about the world order. It completely turns upside down what we think strength is, what we think security is, because we discover a vulnerability in Christ. We discover a humanity in the living God that we maybe didn't encounter before. Retaliation becomes forgiveness. Hanging on becomes letting go. And in the next passage, we see this particular example, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And the word used here for forces you to go is a particular word which links to what the Roman soldiers would do for the Israelites. They had the right to force them to carry a bag or to, to journey for a mile. They had that right. They could ask anybody at any time, I want you to go to this place, carry my bag for me. And you had to respond, you had to do it just for that one mile. And I'm sure most of the time that would be done with deep resentment, with deep unwillingness. Why the hell should I do that? These, <laughs> I try not to use a bad word, these, these Roman soldiers, who the hell do they think they are? You can imagine being in an occupied territory and being forced to do this. Taking time, because if you have to carry this for one mile, then you've got to walk all the way back again. Taking energy in the heat of the day. Being reminded again and again that we're the underdog, we're the oppressed. And so Jesus, I think, here is challenging us to move from resentment to willingness. To move from resentment to willingness. How often, how easy it is for us to be resentful, maybe of things that we're asked to do, maybe of different people in our lives, 
maybe of our relationships. Some of our relationships are complicated and we find ourselves resenting the situation, resenting what's happening. Jesus says, if you're forced to go one mile, go two. Go the extra mile, as we would say. Allow the resentment to become willingness. Allow injustice to be transformed. Taking away, taking away the, the energy, the power, this holds over you by again letting go and not hanging on to resentment. I know for, for myself, you know, when, when I'm in a difficult situation with somebody and, and maybe I'm feeling that they're treating me badly, it's so easy for bitterness and resentment to build up. And again, this takes us back to the love of God, knowing that actually these things are held in God's grace. I'm held in God's grace. You're held in God's grace. And that gives us the courage and strength by the power of the Holy Spirit for resentment to be transformed. For us to do things out of a, the right attitude. To recognize how much has God done for me and how much does that mean I'm called to serve others. Not out of resentment, but out of a heart of willingness. Out of a heart that longs to help, that longs to serve. Even if sometimes we're feeling put upon. What is God saying in that relationship? What is God saying to us? Is God calling us to go the extra mile? And do we good, do that with a good grace? Jesus goes on to another example. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Our possessions are so important to us. How do we move from possessing to giving? How do we allow our pockets to be transformed? I know that you've, I think, been doing some, some talks, some, some, there's been some sermons on giving and, and financial stuff. But actually, it's not just, of course, about our money. It's about our time. This whole concept of going the extra mile, of being the good Samaritan, of allowing God to break in when we see somebody in need. I heard a fantastic sermon once. I'm not going to take credit for this, on the story of the good Samaritan. The attitude of the robbers who beat up the guy What's thine is mine, and I'm going to take it. What's thine is mine, and I'm going to take it, because the robbers beat this guy up and left him there half dead. And then the priests, and the priest and the Pharisee and the Levite walk past. What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep my life as it is, thank you very much. I'm going to control my time, control my giving, control my money. And yes, we can tithe, and yes, we can give, and we can do that in a controlled fashion. But sometimes, God wants us to be transformed, because the Samaritan's attitude is, what's mine is thine, and I'm going to give it. And even if we give, even if our tithing is right, even if we, we sort of feel that it's okay, we're okay with God, sometimes God will say, hang on a minute, 
What about this bit? What about that bit? What about your time? What about your money? What about your attitudes? What about your relationships? What's mine is vine, and I'm going to give it. That's what Jesus is saying here. How do we have hearts that are full of compassion and grace and giving and gift, not seeking to possess and control? And then this second section, this last section, this is the heart, if you like, of all that we're talking about. Because Jesus is talking about love, the love of God for everybody. It says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So love your neighbor is a common concept in the Old Testament. But it was particularly framed by loving your fellow Israelites. You'll probably be aware that the nation of Israel had been called by God through Abraham, had been called a special nation, a chosen people. And so for the Israelites, particularly at this time when Jesus was, was here, there was that sense in which you know, we're special, we're precious, we're the ones that God really loves. Love your neighbor means that we love each other. That's okay. We can do that. And in actual fact, hate your enemy is not in the Old Testament, which is interesting. They'd sort of added that in. And they'd drawn the boundaries, who was in and who was out. And they'd made a distinction between, well, these are the people that we love and these are the ones that we don't need to. And that's okay. And yet what Jesus is challenging us, challenging the Israelites, challenging us here, is instead of our love being exclusive and held to ourselves, it's a love that is embracing and offered to all. And this is because we are called to a life which reflects God. We are called to live in a way that people see God in us and through us. Jesus says that again and again. By this people will know that you're my disciples if you love each other. And we model this in church. And one of the tragedies, I think, sometimes is how difficult we find it as God's community to love each other. My previous job, I was living in community for five years, living with people day by day by day. And boy, was it hard to love them. Really difficult sometimes. People would really annoy you and get up your nose. I was at a theological college, and I remember meeting somebody and instantly disliked them. Instantly, I thought, well, you're a git. Instantly, instantly, I thought, we were never going to get to know each other. I really you know, don't want anything to do with you. Three years later, we were best friends. And actually, I've met that lady since we've been ordained, and I've prayed with her a couple of times. And she is a very feisty person. But hey, we're all gits. Let's face it, we all have our idiosyncrasies, our, our sharp corners, the times when we, we're, we fall out with each other. Let's celebrate the fact in church that we can learn what it means to actually love our enemy. Maybe the person that you find particularly difficult here. Let's celebrate the fact that here we have, I mean, I don't know many of you at all, but here we have a, a whole group of people that if we were commit, if we were really committed to loving each other, 
to living this out in a way that makes a difference, people would see God amongst us. And that's my prayer for P's and G's, that's my prayer for every church in this diocese, that actually we can be salt and light as we break open the exclusiveness that we want to hold to ourselves and break it open to embrace each other and embrace our world. This is a huge challenge, isn't it, this stuff? I don't know if I've touched a particular nerve. Maybe God has been working in you as as we've been thinking about these things. How the heck do we do this? Where do we look? How do we keep going when this is all so difficult? Well, I want to remind us that we do this because we follow a saviour who did it. That actually as we think about managing revenge, as we think about not retaliating but forgiving, of not hanging on to our status and our rights and our possessions but letting go, as we think about giving and sharing, as we think about a love which is not exclusive but embracing, we think about Jesus Christ. The passages in Isaiah that talk about the servant, the servant particularly echo some of what we've been thinking about. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting, but because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Jesus Christ modeled this. Jesus Christ modeled turning the other cheek. He modeled forgiveness. His words on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. He modeled what it means to live a life transformed by God's love. Even he at his baptism needed to hear the words of God. You are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. The foundation for the ministry of the life of Christ was knowing that love. And so he was able to do this. Yes, okay, he was divine. I mean, that does help. (laughs) But we have the power of the Spirit. We too can have divine strength, divine ability to be transformed, to be renewed. And that's the hope that we offer. This is the truth of Easter, the truth of Jesus who died and rose again. The truth of Jesus who shows us a different way of being. Not retaliation, not hanging on, not grasping and greedy, but letting go and letting God. Allowing the freedom to break the chains that bind. Allowing the freedom to become who God created us to be. Going back to Corrie ten Boom, there's a a lovely quote from her about forgiveness. 
Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It is a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. How do we manage revenge? We manage revenge by discovering we're loved, by discovering we're forgiven, by following Jesus who walked the path before us and gives us the strength to follow him and be like him and be transformed into the salt and light that this world longs to see. We live the resurrection out day by day by day as God works in our lives and makes us good news.